And I want you to stay with those two verses. That's Daniel chapter 6. I will come back to that passage as we close. I've enjoyed uh, Sandra and Gary and Sonia's ministry uh, through songs. Thank you. Uh, They will join me as we sign off our worship this morning. Special welcome and thank you to our brothers and sisters, guests who are joining us from Queensland, uh, who've uh, crossed the border and uh, here with us uh, today. Let me have a conversation with you. Just in case you weren't here last evening when I started our prayer conference, tell me, and you can talk to me, what was my title last evening? Prayer works. And I know that firsthand. Works. But let me just add a, a little detail to what you've said, because that is true. So it was November 1979, I was finishing from Fulton College, where I did my basic theological training in Fiji. My dad, you knew from last evening, I'm a, I'm a PK, I'm a pastor's kid. I'm a missionary's kid. So that just recently retired as the first national who was the president of Samoa Mission. But dad was very ill in 78. He could have died in 78. And he continued to struggle with his health in 79. That was my last year at Fulton. A week, the weekend before the graduation, in, in that system, in the British system, so you have your, your finals, there's a, a graduation banquet, and then there's the graduation weekend. It was a Sunday morning, and I was just coming out of breakfast, and I was approached by the principal at the time, He's Dr. Alex Curry. It was the day before email. And I was informed that uh, on the Friday afternoon, this was Sunday, the administration received a telegram signed by my eldest brother. Remember, I come from a family of 11. My eldest brother was a physician. And the telegram came to the school basically asking for my release. I've got to go home. And home at that time was Samoa. Again, these are telegrams, very brief messages. Telling the school, my father was dying. And I must return home. Now, if you understand something about my, my cultural context... 
about community and family is everything. There, there was a side of me, I wanted to be part of the graduation. I wanted to sit my exams. I knew my calling to ministry when I was seven in the islands of Tuvalu, the Alice Islands back then. I remember saying to Dr. Alex Curry, and at the time, Dr. Lyle Heiss has come in from Andrews University. He was now the head of the theology department at the time. John and Margaret, I'm not too sure whether you were still at Fulton at the time. And they basically said, what do you want to do? And I responded, I said, I want to go home. I will get another graduation. But I got to go. Same Sunday afternoon, they transported me, if you know anything about Fiji, from the Tailevu campus to Nosori. I was able to pick up a flight to Nandi, the hub in Fiji. That evening, I arrived in Samoa. My dad was already in a coma. I learned later because the ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, God was central in his life. And my mother and my brothers told me after, Dad did not want you to come. But we wrestle with the thought, what if you heard that your dad died and we did not let you know? So from Sunday night to Thursday night, Dad was in a coma. Except for the few times I had to go to have a wash, I was basically at the intensive care unit. Just looking at a man that couldn't see that I was there but dying. I can't remember exactly, but it was on the Thursday night. For a brief moment. And by the way, hundreds of people were praying for my dad. I knew that. Internationally. For a brief moment on the Thursday night, he sat up, going to take a look at me, his lips could hardly hear his voice dad was already in a coma and he said you're here that was the last that I heard from my dad but he knew I was present Here's what I want to tell you. God answers every prayer, but listen now, according to his will. 4.30 on the Friday afternoon, that passed away. Now let me tell you the struggle I had. I was waiting for 
the time when, when I would finish my theological training and I would have my dad as my mentor. That was the one thing I wanted. But that died the week of my graduation. I was not present for my graduation. Here's one thing that I've learned. This is my personal take. God wanted me to depend on him for my mentoring. And not to depend on my dad. Do you remember what I said to you from Daniel 2? Daniel 2 makes the point. Anything and everything human will not last forever. But God's rule will. Thank you for those of you that uh, share with me your own journeys after last night. I continue to believe that prayer works according to the will of God. Check me out on this. Here's my focus for this morning. And by the way, I'm going to take you to Daniel chapter 6. So come with me to Daniel chapter 6. You see it on the screen. Here's my focus. Talk to me. You're part of the worship. Talk to me. What's my focus? Prayer transform. Now, I alluded to the view that prayer is a transaction. You say something, God responds. You have a request, he'll answer you. But I want to open the window to tell you tonight, this morning rather, that no, prayer is not a transaction. Prayer is a transformation. Prayer will change your attitude. Prayer will change your mind. Prayer will change your person. Prayer will change your behavior. And it's not about us. It's about God. Allow me for a moment to introduce the subject of transformation. Now, I'm using the word assumption in the context of research. These are things you accept as given. It's true. And so you and I will not have the time or the pleasure to explore these statements. But these are fundamental to transformation. Yes, you need to take some notes as the Spirit impress your heart. Transformation is always the work of God in us and for us. You cannot fake transformation. Let me repeat what I just said. You cannot fake transformation because it's not your work. It's the work of God from start to end in you and for you. What do you say? Amen. 
Thank you for your testimony, uh, Trenton. This morning, appreciate it. Here's something else that I've learned. God's timing for our transformation is always right. You cannot hurry the process of God. Remember, for breakfast this morning, I met with one of our sisters from up north who only became a Seventh-day Adventist in December. That was the right time for her. So God's timing in terms of this process which is divine is always right. For some it can be very early, others it can be late, but it doesn't matter. This is God's time for you. Here's something else about transformation. Thanks, Aaron, for your sharing this morning as well. Transformation is a lifetime process. Takes time. Over time. But it is a process of spiritual growth and maturity. Don't get frustrated or disappointed. Because you think you're not at a certain point in the journey. You're not the driver, God is. So it is a process. I want you to connect this last point with our reading this morning. And I will come back. Because what you read in the verses that Ivan shared with us is what does a transformative life looks like? So transformation produces trustworthiness. Look at the life of a Daniel. It produces a life of integrity and a lifestyle of prayer. Don't worry, I will get to the prayer part. But you've got to understand how transformation works. Let me borrow from a model that I have used in my teaching from the field of cultural anthropology. Very quickly, as humans we live our lives in two levels. There is what is referred to as the surface level. That's where you see behavior. That's where we have our temporal activities and products. Let me suggest in the context of this weekend and, and our focus, this is where prayer takes place in the surface. But it's also a significant part of who we are that nobody sees because this is reality that operates at the deep level. And at the deep level, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is where we have our values and our principles. 
This is where, in the words of Scripture, this is where self finds itself. And if you go through the process of transformation, this is where Jesus can also find his place. When there is a death to self. But here's the thesis of this model for us today. When the values are right, when Jesus is in the house, the behavior will be right. I want you to hear again what I'm saying about transformation. When the values are right, when you have kingdom values, when Jesus is the dominant value at the deep level, guess what? What happens on the surface is a natural expression of what's down at the deep level. Are you tracking with me? So what we do on the surface is an expression of who is in control at the deep level. Let me put it in the framework of Scripture. Consider a tree. What you don't see in terms of the soil and the roots, this is the deep level, not visible. You look at me, you don't see my values. You don't see whether I subscribe to Christ or not. You don't see it because it's at the deep level. But scripture is very clear, so let me give you one biblical reference from the Gospel of Matthew. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. When the values are right, the behavior will be right. Listen, I grew up in the church. I was baptized when I was 12, and I thought I was perfect back then. I am very aware, I am very aware of our passion as Adventists to make sure that the surface is right. But I'm telling you, in the absence of a Jesus, it can never be right. Because no bad tree will bear good fruit. Let me very quickly share with you what's the visual. In terms of the way we live our lives, there will always be a competition within us between self and Jesus. We will only be changed completely at the second advent. But in the present time, self will always push us because naturally, did you know, naturally we are selfish. Naturally we are not faithful. 
You don't need to think about being unfaithful. It just happens. It's natural because of self. So what you see here, self is a value. I'll come back and give you Jesus as a value, but I will also illustrate when Jesus comes into the deep level of our lives, transformation takes place. So because of self at the deep level, we are self-serving. I know I am. Because of self, it's natural for us to only do things to satisfy ourselves. Self-gratification, self-seeking, self-centeredness. These are behavior, by the way. But these are behavior that will become visual when self is the dominant value. Are you tracking with me? See where the gospel comes in and see how transformation takes place. But because of Jesus, so here is Jesus coming into your life. But because of Jesus and the cross of Calvary, guess what? He will transform this behavior of self-serving so that you can live a life of a service. What do you say? Because of Jesus and the cross, self-indulgence becomes a life of simplicity. Because of Jesus and the cross, self-gratification becomes a life of sacrifice. Because of Jesus and the cross, self-seeking becomes a life of surrender. Because of Jesus and the cross, self-centeredness gives way to a life of submission. What do you say? What I'm trying to illustrate, everything that you see on the left, my left, your right. It can only happen because of Jesus. That's what transformation looks like. Let me give you a, a text and a couple of statements just to lock in this emphasis on transformation. So you read Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. You know it. You're Seventh-day Adventist. You're the people of the book. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me because self is dead and Christ is within me. And so it is natural on the surface level to behave like a child of Christ. It will never happen, never happen by trying hard enough. Uh, by the way, Ellen White believes in this theology. Let me give you the proof. Steps to Christ. I think every Adventist ought to read that little book. Really. There are some of her books that are heavy. I mean, heavy. This one, easy to read. So look at what she said about transformation. It is the grace of Christ alone through faith that can make us holy. You see the reference on the screen. Christ alone. Part of our challenge as Advent is we think either we fake it or we can do it on the basis of our own good works. He said, no, Christ alone. Same book. 
then with Christ working in you, you will manifest the same spirit and do the same good works, works of righteousness and obedience at the surface level because of a Jesus at the deeper level. Let's go to Daniel. I had the privilege on a couple of occasions uh, to visit Berlin and the Bergamon Museum. Uh, some of you, a good number of you, may have been. But I want you to stay now with Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. One of the nice exhibitions, if you may, is to go to where you can see some of those walls and stuff that were there when Daniel was in Babylon. I mean, incredible. It, it blows you away. David, excuse me, Daniel kind of walked through here to go to talk to King Nebuchadnezzar. It's, it's, but, but, but here's an imagery that I'm going to pick up in Daniel chapter 6. You know the story. You also know Daniel chapter 7. Because when you go to Daniel chapter 7, Babylon is referred to as the lion-like beast. I want to make a couple of observations of the text. Daniel chapter 6. Because you're very familiar with, with the content... I don't want to rehash what you know, but I want to give you some fresh perspectives. So two, two things I want to note in the biblical text. So Daniel was thrown into the, talk to me, the lion's den. Let me tell you why that is very important. Daniel is making a transition from chapter 5 to chapter 7. Because in chapter 5, you are given an insight to the demise of the kingdom of the Babylonians. You know that. But now it was a new kingdom. The Medes and the Persians, if you may. And Daniel used the imagery of the lions to make a transition from chapter 5 to chapter 7. But there's something else that's a lot deeper than the observation that I'm sharing with you. You see, already by this time, Babylon was a defeated kingdom. This was already the period of the Medes and the Persians. But ladies and gentlemen, this is where I want you to see the prophetic stream of a Daniel coming through. Because it was more than just a transition per se. Here in the use of the lion's imagery, Daniel was projecting into our times, into the future. Here's your reference. 1 Peter chapter 5. Read it this afternoon. It's an address to the leaders of the church. And Peter makes the point, you need to beware. 
that the lion is moving around very angry and he will destroy you. Know anything about leadership? The easiest way to destroy an organization is to go for leadership. A local church, you go for leadership. So the projection from Daniel was, hey, don't forget, Babylon is finished, but there's another foe, by the way, who is already defeated, Satan. Check it. Let me make another point of observation from Daniel 6. So you have this group of lions in a den. Talk to me. What was keeping them away from the people or the public? Talk to me. What was? According to scripture, a stone. Did you hear what I said? It was a stone in the entrance per se to the cave that kept people safe from the lions. Let me tell you, that reference to the stone, and you see again the reference there, is not accidental, nor is it a peripheral detail of the story. Because what Daniel is doing is to throw us back to Daniel chapter 2. Are you following? He's throwing us back to Daniel chapter 2 because the stone is a representation of the kingdom of God that destroyed everything human. Stone that was carved with our human hands. This was the kingdom of God. Let me read to you what I've got as the last sentence on the screen because this is very important for us. What's the point, Pastor Puni? What's the point? Victory is assured, and the prayer is God's means that will help transform us. Time to do some writing, and then we'll sign off. Thank you, Julian, for your presentation this morning. Let me pick up where you finished. This is where you finished. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. That's where you finished this morning. Thank you for your presentation. Let me now unpack verse 10 for you. Get your pens ready. Let, let me pull out uh, what I see as the key elements, if you may. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. And because we are Seventh-day Adventists, are you comfortable with the number seven? There you are? Okay then I'll give you seven pointers about prayer from Daniel chapter 6 and verse 20. If you were not comfortable, I would have changed the number. But because you are, we'll stay with the seven. So, take note. By the way, this is Trent. This is a biblical exegesis of Daniel 6 verse 10. Talking to some of my students at Avondale. Did you know that Avondale was established by the will of God? That's why we ought to commit ourselves to that institution. It was established by God. It continues to lead by God. 
and it has a place in God's plan. Not just in this division, but in the world. Seven, Daniel 6, verse 10. Number one, do you remember last evening I made the observation that Daniel's prayers, and you know there are two prayers in Daniel 2, both of them were not private prayers. They were collective prayers. Do you see the difference now? Daniel 6, he was on his own. And there's a place for private, personal prayers. Number two. By the way, if you say, so, so where it's in the text? It's where it talks about his room on his own. Number two. Prayer works best if you have a designated place. I'm talking about personal, private prayers. It works best if you find that spot to meet God. Number three, this is Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Prayer is worship. Let me illustrate. This is where we find Daniel facing a certain direction. So you ask the question, big deal. What's the point? Because at Jerusalem, that was the heart. That was the centerpiece of worship at Jerusalem, at the temple where the ark was. So the fact that Daniel was facing that direction was simply saying, hey, I'm going to connect to my God. This is my moment to connect to him. It was part of his worship. Number four, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. You notice that the text mentions that he prayed, talk to me, how many times? Don't get caught up in the number because that's not the point. The point is, Prayer that works is regular. That's the point. Don't get stuck by saying, no, I've got to have three prayers for today. No, it doesn't work that way. But it needs to be regular. Five. Prayer is that moment in time that you express your humility to God. There was a time I used to think that the only posture for Seventh-day Adventists is to kneel. Seriously. I used to think that was the only posture that is acceptable to God. But I remember in my younger life, traveling with my father on a, a Saturday morning to preach somewhere. We would go to a place where God's people were present. Ladies and gentlemen, there were no seats. There were no mats but there were huge boulders and rocks. So when somebody said, let's kneel to pray, I say, forget it. On the rocks? Here's the point. Kneeling has nothing to do with posture. The point is, you come in submission and in humility in the presence of God. That's the point. Can you connect to God when you're lying on your bed? When you fall asleep on the side of a bed, as I have many times, then I sleep in my prayer. It's okay. It's not the form that matters. 
It's a connection with God. It's about humility. Number six. Talked about it last night. Prayer must be practiced with an attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving for who God is. This is Daniel chapter 6 and the verse 10. I got to finish with number seven. I told you we got to finish with seven, so I better keep my word. Coming back to where I started. Prayer will transform your life. It's not about what or how. Sometimes we get caught up in the how. How do you do it? No, it cannot be mechanical. It's the why. Why do we do it? Because this is where God can transform my life. So let me go back to those two verses that uh, Ivan shared with us. Three and four. What does a transformative life look like? It's a life with exceptional qualities. I mean, that's what the people were saying. This guy is different. In the workplace, by the way. Furthermore, here's a reference. They could not find no corruption in him. He was trustworthy at the surface level. But what made him leave that kind of a life with no corruption and trustworthy and had a prayer life? Ladies and gentlemen, because in that deep level, Jesus was his value. I'm signing off. Time to finish. So how can I have an active prayer life? How? Help me, pastor. How? Bringing to you, and, and, and forgive me, I, I forgot to change my reference. This is not Daniel. This is Philippians. I'll give you the correct reference. Uh, uh, here, but, but this is the reading. Um, let me get somebody to help me. I think it's Philippians uh, 3, uh, 3 and 4. So how can I have an acceptable prayer life on the surface? Here's the testimony of Paul. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider everything a loss for the sake of Christ. What more I consider everything a loss because of Jesus Christ my Lord. It's one thing to have Jesus as your Savior, and we should. Here's what needs to be part of that. Jesus must also be, be Lord of our lives. You know why? Because as Lord, He will take control of my lives. Here's something very simple as, as we're finishing off, and I'm going to ask uh, Sandra and, and Gary and, uh, uh, to, to, to join us. Sonia. When you're reading scripture, in doing biblical exegesis, unpacking scripture, let me give you a very simple rule for reading scripture. Look for repetitions. 
Look for repetitions. Now you talk to me. Remember, we're having a conversation. So in these two verses, tell me, how many times do you see the name of Christ? Talk to me. Three. That's not accidental. That's intentional. Because it gives you an insight to the mind of the speaker or the writer. And for Paul, everything is Christ. I finish where I started. Prayer transforms. Not because of me, by trying hard. But by allowing Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. So listen now, church, as we finish. I know you've been an Adventist for most of your life, even though some of you are new, like the lady I met this morning. But if it's your desire in this prayer conference and camp to be reconnected at the deep level with Jesus so that He can transform your life and give you a prayer life that is constant, a lifestyle of prayer, then you've got to let Jesus come in. And once you give your life to Jesus, it's a commitment for life, no turning back. There's no turning back. So that's a desire of your heart. As I have the trio behind me, sing. That's a desire of your heart this weekend. Whether it's new or this is a recommitment to Christ, because that's how transformation works. Where you sit, feel free at any time. We only have two stances, and I'm not going to wait. If it's your desire to be reconnected to Christ this weekend, make Him real in your life. Allow Him to transform you from inside out. As they sing, you can stand. And that's the end of our presentation for this morning.